Hi, I'm Raj. I'm Rav. And today we'll be joined by Harry Cottrell, who's one of the candidates for RPS elections 2018. We, we are founders of Pharmacy. Um, and just to let you know a bit about pharmacy, uh, we see that pharmacy as a profession is changing. So we are developing a variety of solutions to aid that transition. And one of that, one of those um, aspects is obviously to do a podcast series um, to help the voice of pharmacists that are trying to make a change in the profession be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of our call to action needs, basically, that a lot of things are changing and we need different ways to get our voice out there in order to be heard and, and be united, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't agree with that more, to be honest. <laughs> so just as a taster question and just to ease yourself into it, um, what was the last thing you watched on TV and why did you choose to watch it? Last thing I watched on TV, are we including Netflix and YouTube in here? Or are we actually including TV? Anything. Uh, last thing I probably watched... I've been keeping up with the Kardashians and I'll be, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, last thing I probably watched was the uh, late night talk show host, um, uh, Trevor Noah, Daily Show. Okay. Watch that quite regularly, it's quite fun. And it allows you a good laugh into America. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you choose to watch that before. Yeah, I tend yeah I tend to watch things that you know there's politics involved in it, but it's not put across so directly. Okay, definitely, okay. I like it. Is that is that how you like to unwind for the day from like a hard day work at a hospital? Yeah, pretty much. I'll sort of go through, see what they've uploaded. They're like you know five six minute segments. Watch that for about half an hour, and then get on with whatever I have to do in the evening. Good. Um, uh, do you see yourself as a leader or a follower? Um, do I say, well, I mean, I'm running for the position, aren't I? So I've got to pretty much put myself out there as a leader. Um, over the whole course of my life, I've done quite a different, varied set of roles. I've always been tended to be parts of teams. Um, so direct leader is always something of a contentious issue because obviously it's whoever selects captains or things like that. But no, I have always sort of led by I've always tried to do whatever I can lead by example more than necessarily being selected if that makes sense okay so that shows says a lot about your skill set um and confidence within yourself as well yeah good um so many people so we we get into some of the serious questions now yeah go for it Many people may see that your youth or the fact that you're newly qualified as a weakness due to lack Mm. of experience. How would you combat this? So I've been asked that a few times. I actually got asked it quite – I actually um, took that issue on directly in the hustings that we hosted. Um, And what I challenge that is in the five years that I've, you know, been both an undergrad, pre-reg and now registered – I was part of the completely, I was the first year to go through the University of Nottingham's newly um, set up degree complete, that was newly revalidated, um, fed back into that, re, re-engaged with that and improved it for both my year and years going, uh, that are currently going through it. As a pre-reg, I've attended meetings with CCGs, hospital boards, and also the English Pharmacy Board itself as a volunteer, as a external candidate, just sort of sitting in and being um, involved in the meeting there. 
And also, while I was pretty reg, I was able to go and represent at the Pharmacy Roadshow. So I actually got involved in meeting the businesses and talking to suppliers about their sides of the industry. So, yes, I am very young. And I'll absolutely accept that. However, in those five years, I have engaged as often as possible, as regularly as possible, as I've been allowed. I've taken every possible opportunity to find out as much about every arm of the profession as possible. Definitely. Like that. And and with with being qualified, that's not something you would discriminate against. It would be it would be a case of it's a fresh pair of eyes. Uh, you've not been conditioned uh, to the negativity, some may say, from the profession. Mm. Uh, um, but what do you think? Well, what are your thoughts on why there is so much negativity in the profession? Um, why there is so much? It's quite hard to pin down i think a lot of it is the relentless work that has to be done so in community it's constantly hitting items targets and now hitting mur targets and in hospital it's constantly screening discharges and uh newly and taking drug histories off patients when actually the skill set of most pharmacists and the want of most pharmacists i've talked to is to do more clinical work so actually discussing with patients a bit like GPs doing their medicines reviews, really being able to discuss with patients how best to take their medicines or improve the overall, you know, understanding of the public with their medicines. But given the time pressures on our jobs in each sector, it's quite a challenge to get to fit that in to the volume that we all want. And then people are just trying to work out who it is that they want to blame for this or what, where, where they can, make the change that they want to see yeah definitely um have you noticed um or seen that or have been privy to offline debates and um and and seen a difference in terms of how either negative or positive uh, an offline debate can be as opposed to it being on social media in terms of conversations are we on about yeah. Yeah. Um, like, more open, like um, on on social media, I find you see, you you hear and you see a lot of um, prep and and everything's fantastic, mm. uh, which yeah, at times it is is it is, um, but offline um, you hear and see a lot more. And do you feel that we should be vocalising more in order for our voice to be heard, um, or would you see that as a negativity? No, I think anything where pharmacy is advocating itself as a positive. Um, and I think as a whole, the profession has been a bit too quiet. Not the leading bodies necessarily, but everyone involved in the profession is a bit too quiet um, too yeah. often, I would say. And I'm not you know, disparaging on any pharmacist or anything like that, but as a general whole, we don't tend to, when something gets put out there or changed, as a whole, we don't engage with our, like, our local CCGs enough. We don't engage with our local community uh, community practices, and we don't engage with like the hospital boards high enough to try and push for the change that we can deliver for them. I've seen a lot of occasions where people go, "Yeah, but where's the evidence? Do we have the evidence that we need to go forward and show them? Do, like, who's done the studies and research on it?" Actually, that's been done a lot. Like, if you go to most university uh, schools of pharmacy, they have wealths of data loads of researchers on 
the benefits, the cost benefits, the direct patient benefits, the indirect patient benefits that we can deliver as a profession. But yet we don't tend to be putting it out there loud enough and directly enough. Now, I know that comes down a bit to challenges at the workplace. If you're Mm -hmm. the, you know, pharmacy manager in a community pharmacy, it can feel like one of the lower end of the job list of the day, which is I'm going to call the local practice and try to speak to the practice manager and set up a meeting because I've got all the other work that is directly and immediately in front of me. So I think it would come a bit more from sort of pharmacy managers, local area managers, something like that to be actively engaging with their um, their patches, general practices and their patches, uh, CCGs, uh, just to take the pressure off of the community pharmacist directly. Yeah. I mean, how would you challenge the negativity that we are facing as a profession? So... The negative. Are we on about the negativity that we, as a profession, seem to have, or negativity from other sectors? Other sectors. Um, Multi multidisciplinary teams. Teams. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what I think it's changing in itself. Working in hospital is quite interesting. Um, The difference between what I was, what I used to see in community, and what I see in hospital, because all the doctors who are on a similar level to me, so all the F1s, F2s and uh, junior SHOs, we all work very close together on the wards. We all very regularly ask each other questions, try to learn from each other and try to improve. And what I can see from my seniors is that they are constantly engaging with the consultants, the registrars, try, trying to improve the overall um, setup in the hospital. And I think that's something that needs to happen in the community. So we need to actually be directly engaging with the doctors. It doesn't happen straight away. I will yeah. say that. I mean, every new rotation, it takes about a month for us all to sort of get settled into each working with each other and starting to use each other to ask questions off of. But I think it's more a fear of the unknown and, well, what can pharmacy do? rather than, mm-hmm. and again it comes back to this issue of we need to be engaging actually ourselves going out to these places rather than waiting for them to come to us because they are quite happy with the setup that it is they are looking at their own ways of finding solutions and they're going to look internally whereas if we were to come in from an external standpoint be like well we can do this actually this is what our profession is here for that is i think where pharmacy again needs to be going out rather than waiting for people to come to us yeah i very much hit the nail on the head with that harry Uh, a lot of this we built that wall between the dispensary and the counter and that wall is where we will hide behind yeah and that's that's it's a very big issue yeah profession that is more service driven now so we need to learn to come out yeah, and as the 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 degree style that I've done and the de- the degree styles that by and large um, are going through now and are being revalidated and reset up are so heavily geared at clinical work at medicines optimization at considering the patient, but then suddenly you register, you become a, a pharmacist either in community hospital or locum and. It's just tasks and items and not 
that clinical world that you were sort of hoping it would be. And I think that's where a lot of newly registered pharmacists come into, you know, that's why I'm pretty much, this is why I'm running. I think what we want requires a lot more engagement with other sectors to remind them what we can do because it will help just give everyone at least pressures on the NHS, at least pressures on GP practice, but it will also give the pharmacists that are coming through that job satisfaction that we're all actually wanting, which is to be clinically active. Mm -hmm. So is that how you would improve the cross-sector relationships in pharmacy by reminding them what we are out to do, yeah, achieve? That's, that, it, that is precisely what I want to do. I want to uh, engage on, if I, as a member of the RPS, as, the, as a member of the board, I'd want to engage with the lead sort of like the... Um, Royal College of General Practitioners far more actively Royal College of Nurses try and just explain to these groups this is what we can do for your members this is what we can do for your pressures because it's great that we start to move pharmacists into practices and I actually have so my mum is a uh, general practice nurse who's now got they've now got a pharmacist in there and all the partners are now openly seeing the benefit and actively very positive about the pharmacist that they have there but they're just trying like it's little things like that that are chipping away at the old image of pharmacy but i think the rps needs to take a really big vocal lead on this uh, which is why i've decided to run okay um which yeah valid points uh brought about by yourself harry um what insights uh, did you gain from the RPS hostings that was hosted by the RPS? Um, insights into it. It was a very interesting experience. I'm not going to lie. I don't think my laptop battery has yet recovered from it. It was, uh, it was very <laughs> I, fast. I downloaded it. I downloaded it. Um, oh, the 78 it pages. <laughs> yeah, because you know what? It, it showed a lot of questions that were dodged. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, this is the thing. I don't know if anything was dodged as much as potentially missed, quite honestly. I think most of it was missed because as I was typing an answer, because the thing that I didn't want to do was to just put out like a two, three sentence quick fire answer. And if you look through everyone's answers, they're quite large. Your answers were very detailed. Yeah, uh, but I think most other people's were, especially most who were new candidates, they, send, they tended to put very detailed answers. Yeah. But we, you just couldn't see what was a question or what was someone saying very good point or what was someone who was putting an answer themselves. It was, you sort of scroll, like I scrolled back through and I think I missed, I've got it on a note here, I think I missed about 20 questions that I would have absolutely loved to answer and I am currently going through writing a couple of answers to put out there over this next couple of weeks but it was it was i would say just slightly the wrong format to be hosted on but i thought it was a really good um opportunity for questions to be asked yeah so yeah i think yeah that's why we wanted to do a podcast as well because um you can i can either ask you questions from what we've got from um pharmacists from different sectors that are posted through and it gives you that opportunity to try and answer everything that's asked in your direction essentially yeah okay um for the non-rps members that are listening what would you say the reasons are for joining and how would you sway them 
This is a fantastic question. Um, so, everyone that I've ever discussed who is not a member of the RPS, a lot of the time it's, well, what can I get from the RPS? What do I take away from it? And I think that comes that comes back to how often people look at what's on the website and search for the tools and um, guidances that are given out by the RPS. Because, yes, it's, you know, we all know directly of the MEP and the pharmaceutical journal and the clinical pharmacist. Those are all the three direct tangibles that we're given. But if you are to go onto the RPS website, go th- as a member and have a look at, you know, advice on anticoagulation, advice on atrial fibrillation, advice on any area that you're potentially wanting to either do a CPD on or just wanting to improve your knowledge of and practice of. There is either a guideline out there or a piece of advice or a member's contact who you can engage with and use other pharmacists. So I think on a direct tangible, that's what the RPS can do for you. But on a larger end, um, I think it was back in 2012 or 13, one of the government ministers who used to be um, sort of government minister for pharmacy did say that they didn't know who was speaking for pharmacy because there were so many voices out there. And I yeah. think what we need as a profession is to come together under primarily under one body. And I would say the RPS is the best body that is in position for it, given where, it, given that it used to be the RPS GB, it's still very well known down in, down in London, um, that it's in the best position for us to come together underneath to provide a collective voice, because that's what government wants. They want to know where en masse the information is coming from, what the majority of a profession wants. That's why... Um, the medical and nursing groups have such sway because they have one distinct voice speaking when it speaks. Yeah, very true. So I think those are the two sides. One, the tangibles, because I think, you know, we all do want to know what tangibly we get, but the other side is the larger um, sort of, well, I want change. Well, to to get change, you have to involve, be a involved member. Yeah. How do you see pharmacy levering leveraging the use of technology to aid the profession's development for the future um i think probably one of the biggest things is actually um going to be coming in quite soon isn't it the scanning of medications and you know um tracking them from source all the way out to patients because actually the way that can be done will reduce dispensing times we don't necessarily, like, it will allow more automated dispensing. Now, I'm, I know when I say the word automated dispensing, people are going to think of uh, supervised, non-supervised dispensing and all the rest. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is dispen- the dispensing job, which is the picking of a item and the labeling of an item, can all be linked under computer programs. The actual physical handing out of the medication would then be able to be done by a pharmacist and be able to engage at the point of sale rather than what we do at the moment where we'll hand something to a counter staff and say can you just ask so and so this question and then come back and tell me the answer we could be the ones handing the medications out because we know they've been dispensed correctly Mm -hmm. so i think technology in that respect would be a massive benefit because you know it'll it'll help customers feel a bit more, you know, why, you know, they can get rid of that ethos of, well, why does it take five minutes to put a label on a box? 
well yeah. you know, we could get rid of that and we could be like well actually this is this is the stuff that i'm doing in my head back there well i can actually do it in front of you and talk to you and get the information out of you as a patient and they could you know it would directly show patients what we're doing mm-hmm. um so yeah okay um when would you say was the last time you spoke to someone outside a pharmacy that isn't a friend or family member to find out what their understanding of what a pharmacist does on a day-to-day basis? Um, <laughs> weirdly, yesterday, uh, because I, um, you know, I was at the bank. I was, as I said, told you earlier, I was sorting some stuff out, and I was talking to the teller about um, what I was doing while we were, you know, signing papers and ticking things through. And she said, oh, what do you do? I was like, oh, I'm a pharmacist. And she did just say, oh, yeah, so, you know, uh, it's five minutes to get a medicine and all the rest. And we did kind of go into it. And that was her her perception of it was just, yeah, why does it take five minutes to get, you know, a box of labels on things? And why can't you sell me two or three boxes of whatever I want to buy over a counter? Mm-hmm. And it was little things like that where... It just those little conversations where you can advise someone that well you know there are laws around certain things and also we're doing it because these aren't just medicines i think this is what i've come against every time i've talked to a member of the general public who aren't healthcare professionals they tend to see medicines in one light and drugs in another light okay, Medi- yeah. people seem tend to see medicines as these you know doctors prescribe them they're completely safe you know i trust in what the doctor is saying and you know they're fine but a drug has a very obviously negative connotation. It's associated with the illegal drugs and the risks and dangers and harms of it. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's educating the public that, yes, it is a medicine, but medicines are drugs. And that is where we step in as the experts in it. How do you think we could challenge that and and highlight it into the public's vicinity to say that that's what we do mm. uh, and not to get like you said the two the two types confused and mixed up like between medicine and drug um i this is something i don't think is a quick fix or an easy answer or something that even you know in three years time we could have a huge um ideological change around it but i think what it comes down to is individual pharmacists trying to get out from the dispensary as much of as much as possible and discussing with patients why something can't be done so i think a lot of Mm -hmm. times i've seen you know a council member staff saying i can't do it sorry i can't do it sorry i can't do it i think if a pharmacist was the one to be explaining things like that it just helps get the message out there on like an individual person-to-person basis yeah. Um, and I think larger groups, so uh, local CCGs and um, NHS, and they are moving this way, obviously, you know, with uh, the change of what it, that the NHS is going to allow on prescriptions. Those are all minor ailment meds that pharmacists can engage with and use as great opportunities to show the public what our skills are. Um, but I think it'll be mostly through doing campaigns and work with nhs and with the rps to try and just promote to the public that yes this is a medicine but all medicines have side effects and we're actually the best profession to talk to you about those side effects and those issues that a lot of the time when i've been talking to patients in hospital they haven't realized that the side effect they're having so like dry mouths or they're getting loads of oral thrush 
yeah. that's because of their medicine. They haven't associated one with the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where pharmacists are best placed to try and show what we can do by flagging it to patients, showing that, oh, well, actually, I know that this is being caused by this. And if you do these little few things, it'll actually probably make it easier for you. Yeah, that was something like that I tried to put into place when I was working on a database basis. So I never saw services as a number. I saw them as opportunities. Mm. So I'm like, it's like, for example, you've got 400 MURs a year. I'm like, to me and to my staff, it was a case of it was 400 opportunities to make a difference to someone's life. Absolutely. I couldn't agree rather, with that view more. I'd rather come out of an MUR where that patient has learned something and has gone away with valuable information. Yeah, and I think MURs are, if if a pharmacist is coming out of an MUR having either not being able to educate patient further on what they're taking or not having something to take back to the GP and say, I think yeah. this needs to be adjusted, then yeah. that is that should be the rarity in MUR process as far as I'm concerned. That rare occasion where the patient knows everything about their meds and their meds are actually very well controlled, that is not the majority of the general public. Yeah. And I think actually that's where we need to be and it, I completely understand. And I know that there'll be people listening that will think, but yeah, how am I supposed to do that when I've got someone knocking on the door of the dispensary and I've got, you know, all the time pressure of the day and I've got, you know, X number of items to check. That's where the workforce needs to, we need to have a change, but it would allow us to use MUR opportunities far better for our oh, patients. Yes. Definitely. Um, I think, yeah, I think that sort of debate is something I could probably go on for hours with. <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of pharmacists could, actually. I think it's something which, as a profession, we all are want, like, there are many options, aren't there? People have got many ideas about how best to change it and improve it, but we all, at the end of the day, are wanting to do more clinical work is the root of yeah. everyone's hope for the changes, isn't it? Well, it should be because I, I think everyone wants to be not seen as the image of a pharmacist that just puts that final tick on a box. And stands in a white uh, coat in the back of a room. <laughs> uh, we did not go to university for four years and do a final pre-reg just to put a tick on a box. No, and this is this is why I always, when I was a pre-reg, I always used to say to customers who were coming in, they were like, so what is a pre-reg or, you know, can I speak to pharmacists? I'm like, well, you know, especially towards the end when you're getting quite close to it and your uh, tutor probably has a lot more sort of trust in the work you, you're saying. I used to try and explain, well, you know, it takes five years to be a junior doctor. Well, it takes five years to be a junior pharmacist. It's not, you know, it, doctors spend five years on diagnostics, on tests, on anatomy, everything. We spend five years on how, after the diagnosis has been made, what medicine should be prescribed what issues are likely to occur and what side effects are likely to be caused by multiple medications. That's our wheelhouse. And we need to mm-hmm. advocate that to patients far more and to general, down to general practices because that's where the benefit comes from. Definitely. Um, you went from community to hospital. Yes. What were the reasons and how did you find the transition? Um, so I... And many of my um, university friends were quite amazed when I did actually make the change. Um, I was very much pro-community and really wanted to stay in community pharmacy. Um, 
for the majority of it. But my tutor as a um, pre-reg was very, I would actually say very correct in saying you need to experience as much of the sector as possible. Yeah. Making a change to hospital now is probably the easiest time in your life to make the change, to go from community to hospital because pay-wise you haven't adjusted to the larger rate because it is a larger rate in community. And also you're at a point where your skills are still highly transferable. And that's not to say that if you've been in community a little while that you haven't got, but as a pre, just finishing pre-reg, you're still very um, flexible. Yeah. The the hospital's like, well, you know, you've got the bait that clearly you've very much got the base knowledge is here. Let's move you in. Um, Because all the resis, all the residency pharmacists are, very much of the same after you know the induction period that takes three months so it's not like you're going to miss a step or anything um but the job came with a clinical diploma it came with a chance to see other sides of the profession and to also from my end of things just advance my own clinical knowledge by being involved in different specialities early on in my career so i mean at the moment i'm on respiratory and stroke rotation so those are things that in community you respiratory obviously we see a lot of and actually we're very active with but stroke we always tend to see after a patient's had a stroke well at the moment i'm seeing directly what's going on the initial first 28 day changes of the medications from aspirins to clopidogrels to uh, doax and warfarin and how to counsel patients on all of those um so it's it's given me a bigger view on pharmacy would you go back to community? Absolutely. I still do locum on occasions and, you know, cause I don't see, like, I actually really enjoy community. I, the biggest thing I enjoy is the conversations with patients, which when you've got 52 patients to be looking after on a ward is very hard to have good long five to 10 minute individual conversations every day with every patient. Whereas community, you can engage far more often with patients because they're healthier, they're more able to take on board everything you're saying. I tend to find okay. in the hospital, obviously people are not, they're not well, obviously that's why they're there. So you can summarize things down to like the three key bullet points or something like that for them. But having a big holistic view, like a medicines review, you can't quite do in um, a hospital setting all the time. Mm-hmm. so yeah i do I, I would happily move back to community but at this point i'm quite i'm very much enjoying where i'm at and learning a lot as it goes along <laughs> as your tutor said um expose yourself to many sectors as possible yeah absolutely <laughs> um, where do you see pharmacy in the next five years i want to be really optimistic i do i want to say that there'll be a pharmacist in every GP practice in the next five years. Um, And I want to say that there'll be an increase in pharmacists on hospital wards, because at the moment it is tight as it is across all of the NHS, but it is very tight and we are running around a lot. Um, And I would also like to say that community pharmacists have been able to engage in more services rather than items as in that there would be a contract that has been renegotiated that focuses on services over item targets, which is what the contract currently focuses on. However, I think the only way we're going to get that is 
so is a large change from the RPS in terms of its advocacy for pharmacists, but also a large change in on the ground work from community pharmacists out of hours when they're not at work, you know, engaging with their CCGs, attending meetings, using their days off to get more involved locally, which I know when we're all very tired and, you know, the last thing we think of is on our day off, I'm going to set up a meeting with the CCG, but I think that's what we need to be doing. Okay. Yeah. Right, we're getting ourselves out there, getting our voices out there yeah. and, and understand. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we're coming to an end quite clearly, mm-hmm. nearly. Um, I've got a very cheeky question. Um, first of all, it's a very trivial question. So for all the geeks out there, are you a Star Wars fan or are you a Trekkie? Can I say Lord of the Rings? <laughs> <laughs> Not in the same sector. <laughs> It's still great. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, it's gonna be Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) So that tells me a lot about yourself already, Harry. (laughs) And apart from voting for yourself, who are the candidates would you vote for? Um so having met and actually also luckily as a pre reg I got to work with uh Tidal. Uh I'd definitely go with Tidal um as one of the other candidates I'd definitely vote for for this and Thorin just because okay. the amount of work that she has done herself engaging with local radio local uh, media teams and putting pharmacy out there that's exactly okay. what I want to see other pharmacists doing and I think someone like that leading by example doing that couldn't be better Lovely. And finally, you've got 30 seconds to do a quick promo to, prom- to, mo- to promote your candidacy. Um, off you go. Okay. So as I said during this interview, I am a young, newly qualified pharmacist. I'm very much advocating for the views of newly qualified pharmacists on the board. I think the way the profession's education has changed needs to be reflected in what the board is pushing for. Um, and yeah quite simply those and as I said also in this interview I'm covering multiple sectors I've seen multiple areas of the profession and as such I can see issues from both sides and from both primary and secondary care as to also as to how we could improve things lovely well it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here um, on on pharmacy podcast Harry Um, thank you very much for the opportunity know a lot about yourself and you brought across some valid points as well so hopefully our listeners can take that on board and i wish you the very best of luck um in the elections thank you very much thank you for the opportunity today all right see you the rest of your day harry you too bye-bye bye